Welcome to the Dr. Bill Education Series. This is an educational program focusing on pediatric eye conditions where parents, teachers, and other professionals working with young children with visual impairment. The topics presented should not be considered a medical or educational consultation, but information to help us better understand pediatric eye conditions. Tonight's presentation by Dr. Bill is on cicadas. Dr. Bill will describe the cicadic eye movement skills and the importance of cicadic eye movement for reading. So I'd like to introduce Dr. Bill. Uh, thank you very, very much, Karen, and I want to thank all of you for being here. Also, I want to thank uh, Dick Burden from Air Zalei for being here and recording this. Tonight, I thought it was really an appropriate topic for us to think a little bit about going back to school and what are the visual skills that are required when a person is going to read. In our previous lectures, we've talked about the importance of being able to keep the eyes steady. And by keeping the eyes steady, it helps us to see objects more clearly. We also talked about the pursuit eye movements, and that is the ability of the eyes to follow a moving object. And that type of eye movement develops earlier on in life, and this is when a baby will follow mom or dad's face around the room. And later, they begin to look at a ball. Maybe they're looking at a soccer ball that's rolling on the floor. Or later, they're able to follow a baseball and catch it. So today, we're going to talk about a more high-level eye movement. And this is called the saccades. And saccades... It's kind of an unusual word, and it is spelled S-A-C-C-A-D-E, saccade. Now, a saccadic eye movement is when the eyes are not following something that is moving, but rather the eyes are just shifting from one point to another. And let's say, for example, that a little young child is sitting at the dinner table, and on the other side of the dinner table is mom to the left and dad to the right. When the child is looking at dad or mom, she is going to have to then move the eyes and point the eyes on mom, and then... When dad talks or says something, she has to then shift the eyes and point the eyes on dad. So the eyes are going to have to go back and forth from mom and dad. And this is actually a more difficult type of eye movement as compared to following a ball or following a toy. Now, the saccadic eye movements are very, very important in our academic and our adult career because 
this is the main eye movement that we use when we read. When we're reading a sentence, our eyes shift from one word to the next, to the next, to the next, to the next. And when we get to the end of that line, we then have to scan our eyes back to the beginning of the second line. And we continue on from left to right. So these types of saccadic eye movements are very important for reading because if a person does not have accurate saccadic eye movements, they will always lose their place when they're reading or when they're trying to learn to read and the learning to sound out words. They may not do it in the correct order. And it could also affect them if they are trying to copy numbers from the board, say they're doing some arithmetic problems, and they then have to copy these numbers from the board to their paper, poor saccadic eye movements, they often will lose their place, and then they realize, my gosh, I don't even have the right numbers on the paper I wrote them down in the wrong order. It's not like what the teacher has on the board. So we really want to try and to develop these saccadic eye movements at a very young age in children. I think it's something that we very easily can do if we understand what the saccadic eye movement is. But if we don't know what the saccadic eye movement is, we usually will just move toys and other objects and let the child follow that with his or her eyes. And in that case, the child is developing better pursuit eye movements, but we're not doing anything to develop the saccadic eye movements. I remember years ago, when I was in private practice, our office, you know, we specialized in doing vision therapy and these very specialized type of vision exams. So we got to examine the United States Olympic athletes. And the purpose of these examinations was really to identify any visual weaknesses that they might have and to perform the vision therapy before the Olympic Games take place. And in most cases, these athletes just had superior vision. I mean, everything about their vision was just superior. But there were a couple of them that I noticed when I was testing them that they had very inaccurate saccadic eye movements. I would ask them to look at my pen and then to look at my finger and then back at my pen and back at my finger, and they really couldn't do it in one scan of the eyes. Their eyes would move three or four times until they finally were able to focus on my finger. And then they had to move it three or four times before they could focus on the pen. 
And then in talking to these athletes, I asked them, you know, do you ever have problems with reading where maybe you lose your place in your reading? Oh, Doc, all the time. I'm always losing my place in my read. So, you know, it's really to a point now that I don't even read. I've had this problem my whole life. And so now I get those audio books and I listen to the books and things that we have to read. But the problem is that these audio books, they're kind of slow. You know, these readers, they're very good readers, but they read very slow. And it takes me longer than I would like. And I said, well, one of the things that we found out here is that you have excellent, excellent eye movements to follow a ball, such as the volleyball, coming across the net at you. But when you have to scan to look at one object and then another, your eyes cannot do it accurately. And I think this is something that could affect your reading. It could affect how you do in a lot of your academic subjects and things. And also, we're going to have to try to work on this because if you're ever pulled over by the highway patrol and they think that you're drunk and they do this test on you, it's going to come out looking like you're drunk. And he said, you're kidding I never knew that I had this kind of a problem. And so we worked on these kind of eye movements. And very quickly, they were able to improve their eye movements. And we would ask them to, you know, try to go home and maybe read the newspaper, if there's a book they wanted to read, see how they do with it. And every one of them, told us that they were able to read at a way that they never read before. And they were so, so grateful. You know, they are so happy to be able to read like that. But I told them, you know, the main thing, though, we're not here to make you readers, actually. We're here to make you win Olympic gold. you got to bring home the gold medal. And then they just laugh, you know. But when we think about these kind of saccadic eye movements, here's something you have to remember. Number one, this eye movement is controlled by the frontal lobe of the brain. And the frontal lobe of the brain is right behind your forehead. Now, the right frontal lobe, it tells the eyes to scan from right to left. So like if you're going from the end of a line to the beginning of the next, the right frontal lobe does that. And then if you're going from the beginning of the sentence, from left to right, it is the left frontal lobe. So it's very interesting that it's the opposite 
side of the brain that's controlling each of these types of eye movement directions. Now, another thing that takes place in the frontal lobe of the brain is number two, the frontal lobe of the brain is where a lot of your attention and your arousal takes place. So if you're going to read, you know, you got to kind of wake up and you got to be attentive. So it's interesting that the frontal lobe of the brain is involved with both of these things. And what we find many times when we see children who have very poor of these eye movements and we'll ask mom, you know, how's the attention? Oh, his attention's terrible. And we ask the question, has he ever been injured, you know, when he was a very young baby? Was he trying to stand and he fell down and hit his forehead? Was he ever kind of running in the house and ran into the edge of the dining room table? Or has he ever had a seizure? We see that many kids who have seizures, these seizures are caused by too much activity in the frontal lobe of the brain. So when we ask questions and we find out that, wow, there was an injury or maybe that this child had a seizure and things, it really tells us that we're, we're really heading up the right trail. Everything is really making a lot of sense. And we may refer these patients to a neurologist so they look at that electrical activity of that frontal lobe. In some cases, they may give them a medication. Other cases, they don't. But we can then begin to perform these kind of exercises. And they're very, very simple types of exercises you do not need to have real expensive equipment. In our office, we do have computers and some very high-tech equipment, but you really don't need to have that. That type of high-tech equipment, it sometimes keeps the attention of the patients better than doing certain things that are more simple and more basic. So we want to tell the parents early on that there's different kinds of activities and exercises they could do to develop these saccades. And if you have a newborn, you could do these with your newborn. So one of the first activities is we'll just call it the mom-dad scan. And... You could have mom and dad sit across from the child, and you might be at adult's <clears throat> arm length. 
And then mom might call the baby's name. And then the baby will then look at mom, and mom's smiling. And then dad will call the baby's name. And then the baby will then move the eyes at dad and see dad smiling. And then mom will call the baby's name again. And the baby scans. So you let the child go back and forth, you know, maybe six times. And then you could do something else. But it's not something that's taking a real long time. But it is something that is forcing the frontal lobe of the brain to move the eyes. So that is something that works out really, really, really well. You could also do the game where you incorporate other people. Maybe it might be a neighbor or grandma or grandpa or a brother or sister. So now you have three people sitting across from the child. And the person on the left will say the baby's name and the baby looks and smiles. Then the person next will say the baby's name and the baby will scan and look. And then the person on the end will say the name, and the baby will scan and look. And then the person who is the first will then say a name or a sound or make a funny noise, and the baby will scan and look. So you could increase it by maybe having three people or even four people. But you may find there's a time also that the baby gets tired of playing this game. So we can't expect to try to do this game for, you know, 30 minutes or something like that. It might be for two minutes or so. So that's a scan faces kind of a game. Now, another good type of a game that we could play is that we could go ahead and we could get real toys. And these would be sort of small toys that maybe a child may already have or they like. And what we're going to do is we're going to use some type of a poster board. And we're going to draw a grid on it so that there will be four squares across. And then we're going to have four squares going down. So the poster board is going to be a square. And then we're going to use like a marks a lot, the thick, bold felt marker, and, and draw the line. So now we have uh, four rows of four. And what we're going to then do is we're going to grab these toys that the child likes. Maybe one of them, it's a, a very soft, cushiony ball. 
And maybe the next one is going to be a ball, like a cat's ball, that has a little bell in it. And maybe the next toy is going to be a Hot Wheels little car. And then the next toy might be a, a, a small flashlight. And what we're going to do with these toys that we have, we're going to teach the child to put a toy in each square, but we want the child to go from left to right. So at first, you might point to the first square you want her to put the toy in. And then you can point to where the next square is and point to the third one. So pretty soon, the child will learn that there's an order to go. And when the last one is filled up, the child is then going to learn, oh, we got to go to the next row. And the child will scan the eyes to the first square on the second row and then fill those up. Now, after the child is able to do that, we could then go ahead and incorporate language into it. Even if the child is still very young, a 10-month-old, 11-month-old, 12-month-old, You've been muted. To unmute yourself, press star six. This is the ball. This is the bell. This is the light. So that the child begins to associate names with these objects. While the child is scanning the eyes from square to square. And we hope that we will begin to see that the child is just making sounds. The child's not really pronouncing the name of the toy properly at first, but it might be ka, ka, ba, ba, lai. They might just be saying syllables like that. But that's a very, very important part in the development of visual verbal reading. <laughs> then, after the child has filled up the whole grid with these toys, we're then going to teach the child how to remove the toys in the same order from top left to right, and then to bottom. And doing it the same way. Each time that they pull a toy off, we hope that they're going to say a sound with it. Just like the way that they hear you doing a sound. Okay, so we just call that game, that's going to be the toys 
and the grid. Now, another kind of a, a game that you could do that's similar, but we usually do it after the child has developed the ability to do it with a toy grid. But we will then shift to stickers. Now, we could use different types of stickers. You can use stickers of a child's favorite toys or cartoon characters. Or it could even just be colorful Avery stickers that you get from the stationery store. So we may then give them a sticker, and the first one might be Mickey Mouse. And we want the child to put Mickey Mouse in the top left corner. Goofy is number two and goes next to Mickey Mouse. Minnie Mouse is number three, goes next to Goofy, and so on and so forth. Now, the reason that we usually will use these types of stickers after the child has mastered the real toys is because, developmentally speaking, a child has much more difficulty identifying those pictures that are on those types of stickers. So after the child has learned to do it with the real toys, then we can go to the stickers. And when they're doing it with the stickers, uh, we again want them to say, okay, the name of that person or the color of that sticker. Okay, the next one would be using finger food and a grid. And this might be where you you could get Cheerios or another type of small cereal food. And you're going to put one in each square. And then you could let the child pick up one Cheerio, and we hope that they remove them in the right order from top left to top right, and then from top to bottom. And you could then mix it up, too, if you want to. You could put little fruit. You could dice up some fruit or something like that. Now, with some of these types of grids that we make, though, when we start using it with food or things like that, we will usually put a, a plastic cover over on top of it so that the poster board doesn't get, you know, soaking wet and dirty and things like that. 
And then as the kids then get older, they may understand certain concepts of arithmetic a little bit easier. And so would then use poker chips and that grid. So we will tell the child to put one poker chip in square number one. And then in square number two, we're going to try to teach counting. Okay, we're going to put two chips. Put the first one in, that's one... And another one. That's two. Very good. The next square is three. Okay, here's one. Here's two. And three. So they then begin to learn the sequence of counting. And it develops their eye-hand coordination to be able to stack these poker chips and things. But again, remember that when it comes to something like this with using the poker chips and counting, this is going to be for an older child. Okay, we don't expect a six-month-old to be able to do something like this. All right? But these are a, a few examples of some very easy very easy types of games that you could play. Does anybody have any questions about these grid games? Okay, now, as kids get a little bit older and after they have mastered these grid games, we could then venture on and do other types of board games. Now, they may not have to understand the concept of the game exactly. But we could play some of these different types of games where you open the board and there's a trail. And you have a dice. So each time they get to roll the dice and they know how many squares to move. In order to move the right number of squares, you have to saccade your eyes properly. You could also do different things using the checkerboard. So that they're going to then learn how to scan. And then we also would recommend that you could use your your cell phone cameras and you could take pictures of all sorts of different things. And you could get them developed in twin pics so that there's two. And then you could lay out the pictures from left to right, top to bottom. And then the child has to find 
the corresponding picture and put it on top of the correct picture starting from the top left to the top right. So that's another, you know, very fun type of game and we're developing those eye movements. Now, I know that there's somebody out there saying, well, what about video games, you know, where you have to scan your eyes and search for things and you're looking for good guys and bad guys? Absolutely. Those video games are actually very good for developing different types of eye movements. So I would say you can introduce them, but we just don't want the kids to go a little bit crazy on them, you know, where they're just so addicted to it. But they are also very, very good at developing these kind of eye movements. Now, do any of you have any other ideas of activities that you have used with uh, some of your kids, and you realize that you're developing their saccadic eye movements? Do any of you, do any of you bake cupcakes or cookies? Well, this is something that you can do. You can bake with the kids. And when those cupcakes come out, you could put a little frosting on top. And you put those cupcakes, they usually come in a cupcake holder sort of a thing. So it's in a grid pattern. And then let them decorate each cupcake. But we want them to start at the top left. Go from left to right top to bottom. Dr. Bill, this is Liz. I have some um, stuff that I do with my kiddos. Oh, I'd love to hear it. Yeah, what ideas do you have? Um, we do, on a mirror, we do like six post-it notes or these little silicone toys called swigs that are kind of like suction cups oh. on a mirror. Going uh-huh. from left to right. And um, something that we do that we actually made a YouTube video, I think Patty made it, is um, an ice cube tray or a muffin tin. It also works on their fine motor, like picking up small pom-poms yeah. or small items or using tweezers to fill it and then take them out. And then you can also oh. make patterns with it. Um, hey, that's great. Is that on YouTube right now? Yeah, yeah, we have a playlist on YouTube under Child Development on the Braille Institute YouTube page, and we have all our DIY videos on there. Okay, so how do people go to find that? Then they go to YouTube and type yeah, in Braille Institute? Yeah, yeah, yep, just search for Braille Institute, and then there's different playlists, and we're on the Child Development playlist, and you'll see all our videos that we've made. Oh, that's great. I didn't even know that you guys had that. I'd love to see it. Yeah, Dr. Bell, we've done about how many, Liz? Probably 10, 12, something on that around there. And then we're also doing our virtual parent groups once a month. 
Um, those are not videotaped because, um, you know, we need special permission from the parents to do that. But um, we're also doing parent groups the last Wednesday of the month from 4 to 5.30. Um, and I believe that's on our website as well. Wait, so what happens to those on Wednesdays? Uh, can anybody come and participate and just listen? It's a virtual parent group, yes. Oh, that's I'll great. Send you so, the link, and then I'll send Diane a link, too, in case she wants to let her families know. But yeah, it's a virtual parent group. Thank you. Oh, that's a great idea. That's really, yeah, really good. Yeah, our next one's on the 26th. It's about water safety and sensory play. Okay. Hey, can you send the Monica one? Do you guys already have Monica's email address? I don't know if I have Monica's email address. We can start with Yolanda. Oh, is she with Yolanda? Okay, perfect. I can just email with Yolanda. Okay, perfect. Hey, well, Liz, those are some great, great ideas, you know? And then uh, uh, the name of that, that suction thing that goes to the mirror, I really like that idea. What is it called? Squigs, S Q. U-I-G-S, wigs. And they're little, they're like an inch long, a couple inches long, and they're little, like, suction cup um, toys that you can stick on plastic and glass. <laughs> okay, so they're intended to be toys, then. Yes, they're toys, yeah. Ah, I was wondering. Yeah, you don't have to what... go out, yeah. You don't have to go out and buy anything. You can just use stickers or, yeah. you know, whatever you have, <laughs> magnets. You know, oh, on the refrigerator. It's amazing how many things you'll find at home, though, huh? <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah. One of my families, um, she, I sent her this picture of this marble maze I found, which it's like cut up cardboard tubes that you tape on a wall and you watch the marble go down to the floor. And she really liked that with her daughter. Um, oh, wow. So she just used, like, painter's tape on the wall and cut, like, some paper towel tubes, and then you can watch it go down. Oh, you know, homemade marble maze. That's a great idea. Oh. Is that on, on YouTube also? No. We should make one for that. Yeah, no, I know. I, found, I saw it somewhere online. Yeah, I saw a picture of it somewhere online. I was like, oh, that's perfect. Gosh. These, <laughs> so. are, these are great, and... You know, the great thing about the video, the video really tells so much more than what a book could or, like, what a lecture could, you know? Mm-hmm. The video, you really see it in action. My yeah. God. Yeah, and then I think last time I mentioned the website. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Yeah. Okay, who said Dr. Oh, Dr. Bell? Dr. Bell? It's Patty. So, um... I was going to share another activity. Hi. That it's, it's one that we all know, but it's really fun if it's an older child that's working on the decay movement and maybe we're still, you know, at, you know, um, very, very beginning. But you could also play Duck, Duck, Goose, you know, and that's really fun because the kids are actively playing and they have to look at each child as a playing Duck, Duck, Goose. And, um, you know, 
but it's a very fun but basic game that all kids will enjoy if they're working on that eye movement. Hey, Patty. Yeah. yeah? I I don't even know what Duck Duck Goose is. We never we never oh, played that in Japan. So, <laughs> so Duck Duck Goose is you have um I don't know about it could be any number of children, but usually it's about anywhere from maybe five to ten children sit in a circle and one child stands up and they go around tapping either the the children's shoulders or heads in that circle and they say duck, duck, and as they're moving they're calling each child a duck. And when they say goose, the children have, whoever they was called goose has to get up and chase the other child around the circle. <laughs> and, you know, the other child's trying to get into the seat. So all the children are watching, you know, the person who's saying duck, duck, and they're following that child as he arrives to each of the students. So it's just kind of mm-hmm. like a fun game, but it has that same movement, the satanic oh, movement yeah. that kids are trying to exercise, but it's fun. You know, it it doesn't seem yeah. like work anymore. <laughs> yes, that's good. Yeah, that's good. Oh, that my makes gosh. me think of another of hot potato. I have this yeah. little—I don't know where I got it. It's a plastic hot potato that you put a water uh-huh. balloon in, and then they pass it, and then it um, pops the water balloon on whoever it stops <laughs> on. Oh, it's a really that's nice, great. like sensory and auditory thing too. Oh, that's a great one. It's called Hot Potato, then. <laughs> I don't know what the actual name of this toy I bought was, but it's, in a, it's essentially Hot Potato, yeah. Uh, oh, man, that's great. Gosh. Does anybody else have any other ideas that could be used to uh, develop the saccadic eye movement? Dr. Bill, this is Liz again. I was last time I mentioned the Highlights Magazine website, and they really do have a lot of great free stuff. I use it um, with my older kids with screen sharing on oh. our video um, stuff. They have pipe puzzles that you have to use to connect one side to the other, like a path. And they oh, have mazes, yeah. and they have a lot of really good stuff, um, and like kind of like. I, I do, like, find what's wrong in this picture, like, find what uh-huh. doesn't belong. So they have to go from left to right and scan each line. And so um, I've made my own, like, in Word. Like, I'll just, like, put a bunch yeah. of letters and then a, a different letter, you know, or some pictures yeah. and then a different picture. And they just have to go and, like, circle. Or they can, they're, if they have a printer, they can print it out and do, like, dot markers or stickers on it, too. Oh, that's great, but just like you said, the mazes in there are good, and if they're connecting uh, a picture. Yeah, it's really cool, and it's all free, so I definitely check out Highlight website. Okay, and so for that, it's just www.highlights.com? I think so. Do you have to have a subscription and subscribe to the magazine? No, you don't. no? no, it's all free. It's highlightkids.com. Highlightskids.com. And then you click on games. Ah, this is great. This is really good. Well, you know what's going to have to happen? We're going to have to have a professional videographer come and videotape you guys describing 
all these games that you guys use and what you've made. That would be great because, you know, there's child development specialists all over the place. And the reality is if you, I believe, if you tell any parent, any parent who has kids about how they could improve a child's eye movements for reading, they would love to do these games. And so I think if there's a video, it's easier for them to understand it. So, Karen, I think that's our, our next project, huh? Right. I, you know, we're always looking for ideas for our videos, and maybe that might be an idea that we do is um, yeah. some of, you know sharing some of these games on video that um, yeah. you know parents can do at home. We need to kind of think how we can do that, but um, I have very creative uh, child development consultants. Um, they're always coming up with great ideas, and so um, maybe that's something we look into on how we can share these games with families. So, um, well, you know, one thing I could do to help you is I could try to see about finding a volunteer photographer who would videotape this for us, you know, and edit it for us and all of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was already, I'm already thinking of how we could do it. We could record, right. I could set up a camera to record myself, and then I could record our video session so it records the video of the child doing it. Right. Somehow we'd have to, like, put them side by side or something. I don't know I, how to do that. You know, the other thing, too... I'm certain that you you guys have helped so many families to decorate the child's crib or uh, the room so that it's visually stimulating. And that would be a great thing to be able to get a picture of. Oh, what did you do? You know, how did you how did you make this room so vividly visually stimulating? And we could take pictures, video pictures of these things. So that would be good too. Well, you know what? I will I will start asking around about these videographers and such. You guys could think about other activities or other ideas you have. And does anybody else have any other ideas that you would like to share, or uh, does anybody have any questions, Monica or Diane? Do anybody have questions? Is now exiting. Okay. Well, Dick, I want to again thank you very, very much for recording this lecture this evening. And thank you. We'll, we will we will talk to all of you when we have our next lecture next month. Right. So good night, everybody.